Hello, my name is Philip Mirton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. A little later in the show, we're going to be talking with Jesse Craigie, the sustainability rep for a remarkable new age construction company called Dirt Environmental Solutions. We'll be talking how DIRT, which, by the way, stands for Do It Right This Time, has merged video game technology with a Lego-like interlocking fastenings system to create a brand new way of building interiors cheaper, faster, and with less waste. So stay tuned for my little interview with Jesse Craigie later on in this show. Last week, we talked with Guy Joseph Ale about understanding the optimal duration of existence in order to maximize our time here on Earth. Today, we're going to be doing something a little different, but in some ways similar. We're going to be focusing on understanding how you are wired, which will help us thrive. Now, as some folks know, I'm fond of theory. I'm fond of philosophizing, but unless we put theory into practice, we don't get very far. At some point, you have to convert the dream into reality. You have to convert those big plans into concrete results. I'm happy to have on the show today one of the leaders in the personal transformation business who's going to talk to us about how we could be wired to thrive. His name is Chris M. Sprague. He's the International Transformation and Empowerment Ambassador. He's the author of the book, The Secret Blueprint to More, fill in the blank. He has his own YouTube station. He's an international speaker and motivator whose goal is to inspire and motivate you to master your mindset so you can be the best you can be. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, thanks, Philip. Great, to, great to be on. And uh, you know, I, I really like the way you let in with with dirt. Do it right this time. That's just that's that's an awesome philosophy. So I've already learned something in the first minute and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was really, I'm really impressed by by dirt. It's 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 a little suspicious sounding of a name, but but the acronym Do It Right This Time says it all. And uh, later in the show, I'll be talking to Jesse Craigie, as I said, and we'll and, and we'll learn a little bit about. Uh, about what they're up to. Now, first of all, in this personal transformation business, there's a lot of people uh, who are life coaches, motivational speakers, transformation specialists. Now, what sets you apart from other motivational teachers? Yeah, great question, Phil. Thanks for asking. You know, the majority of people in, in I'll say my business, the, the business of motivation and inspiration are out there telling people they can be anything that they want to be 
And it's, it's a way for, you know, it used to be a way for, for people who were in the business to expand people's minds and get them out of, you know, their, their current mindset. But what I found through both research and practice is that when you tell somebody, anybody, they can be anything they want to be subconsciously that puts a huge amount of pressure on that person. Because if you think about it, if you can be anything you want to be, and you're not happy. I, I mean, and you're not, and you're not achieving anything in your life. You you tend to feel worse because it's it's like you're sitting at home thinking, "Geez, I can be anything I want to be, and I'm this or I'm that." So what I do is I tell you you can be, and I show people how to be anything they want to be within the way they are wired. And there's the key. I never limit anybody, but what I what I show people how to do is understand how they're wired and then once you understand that you know the the door is open and your success is is almost guaranteed well let's talk a little bit about how one understands how they are wired what do you mean by this internal wiring what is that yeah i'll, I'll give you i'll give you an example i i believe we're all built in certain ways and through my through both research and practice i've you know i'm I, i've been able to prove it out with, with a lot of my clients and in fact with pretty much every one of them. Um, and here's the way I'll explain it. You know, you are uh, so tall, maybe 5'10", 5'11", 7 foot, doesn't matter. People are, are, people are of all heights and sizes and people are never going to grow any taller once they hit adulthood than they are right now. So, you know, I'm about 5'11", I'm never going to grow any taller. Um, and what I what I have, have proven is that you know, if God has wired our bodies that way, he's also wired our brains that way. And what happens is, is that people over their life let this wiring get pasted over by everything that happens to them, and they forget how they're, how they're wired. And it's only when you uncover that and they start to realize how they were originally wired and what they were built to be that they, um, that they can start to utilize that. You know, the, the height example, it's real easy to see how tall a person is, but it's very difficult to see how you're wired inside. You know, in your book, which I enjoyed, uh, The Secret Blueprint book, uh, you have a lot of different tips, a lot of steps, stages, lessons. Are there certain lessons that you give people to help them understand how they are wired? Yeah, great, great question. So... Here's, I take people through a process to really dig deep and, and figure out how they're wired and to start stripping away the current layers. Um, the easiest thing I give your listeners right now is, is this. Um, I guess the biggest tip I could give, and, I, and I'm thinking of all of them, yeah, the, the biggest tip I could give is this. You've got to go back. You've got to go way back to, I'll even say your childhood or you know the your earliest memories to truly figure out how you're wired like let me give you a quick example um from the time i was about five years old i was acting and bowling and i would always love to share my experiences with people and i used to love to talk a lot now most people say well kids always love to talk a lot and for me it was something different it was sharing now through a lot of uh, challenges and trials and tribulations in my life i got out of the acting world into the information technology world and spent about 15 years there and thought that was where I was going to end up my life. And it was only through a, a couple of layoffs and a lot of other things that I started to peel back the layers of who I had become to look at who I originally was. 
And that's when the doors open. It's like, oh, I'm supposed to be out sharing a message. I'm supposed to be on stage and I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing here. So that's the biggest thing I can, I, that's the biggest piece of advice I can, I can give your listeners is you've got to go as far back as you can remember to, to really figure out where it all started and where it all, you know, what you were meant to be. Is there anything different uh, from the concept of learning or understanding how you are wired to, to the adage, follow your passion? Your wiring and your passion should always intersect. Unfortunately, sometimes they, uh, unfortunately, sometimes they don't. I look at your wiring as more of your purpose. Okay. Um, you know, there's um, like Scott Fay, one of my mentors, who's part of the John Maxwell team. Uh, you know, just released a book called uh, "Your Called Your Sweet Discover Your Sweet Spot." He talks about purpose and passion in there. Um, and, and I really, you know, from what I've been able to to research and prove, your your wiring is really linked to your your purpose. And when it aligns with your passion, then you really supercharge your success. Yeah. The, okay. So it's it seems as if the the metaphor of of wiring is is almost in a, a a scientific. It's a quasi scientific term. It's it sounds like uh, you know getting in touch with the flow of your being instead of just a passion. That, that your inner self is in some ways programmed along a certain path. And our, and our task is to understand what that is, because if you do it, not only will you be happier, but you'll be more successful. Is yeah, that, is exactly. That right? okay. like I'll, give you, I'll, I'll give you another example. Okay. Um, you've seen a lot of American Idol contestants go and, and get on American Idol and they love to sing and they've been told they're good and their passion is to sing right but they get on the, the they get on the auditions and they're not very good at all right so they don't they never make it right so they can't passion, sing right <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah they can't sing so yeah. their passion is to sing right but their purpose in life wasn't that I see I see well you know in some ways I I think that uh, life, in some ways, in, is a big, long learning experience where you eventually find out how you are wired. It, it be, because a lot of things just don't work for people. I mean, uh, that's that's my experience. A lot of things. I mean, there's a, there's so many examples of like like I have a cousin, for example, that went to accounting school and he got the CPA because it was the right thing to do and at the time it was you know there was a lot of jobs and it paid well and of course he hated it and now he's teaching and you know now he's a professor I mean I think one of the problems we have Chris and I think you've identified this in our society is that is that we let other people culture peers parents sort of direct us into a path that we're not wired for yeah, ex exactly. It's kind of funny because I grew up in a little small farming community where the, the biggest goal of, of most parents was to have their kids go to the, the local cement factory, work 45 years and, and, you know, get a gold watch and retire. Yeah. And anybody who's anybody who's seen my YouTube video, anybody who's talked to me for any length of time knows that 
And when my folks tried to push me in that direction, realizes I would have been really unhappy. I mean, I did the factory work for a little while yep. to make ends meet. I probably done you know more jobs than most people. I, geez, I even worked on a on an assembly line for um, big uh, resistor capacitor. I even forget what it was like engine type things. It's like, no, this is just not me. Yeah. Um, but you're so right, Philip. You know, um, and and the difficult part is that sometimes parents think they're doing what what's best for their kids. Like, let me give you another example, real quick. Um, when I was growing up, I was always overweight, and um, in fact, I even had to lose weight to play football. And for those of you who want to hear the whole story, go out to my YouTube channel. There's a three to five minute video floating around out there. When I spent some time on the stage with John Maxwell talking about how I had to lose weight to play football, um, but here was the problem. My folks always told me you're just big boned. You're it's no big deal. You know you're you're cute. You know all that all that other stuff. And they thought they were doing what was right for me. Right. Unfortunately, between that and some bullying that happened to me after I after I did lose some weight, I had a, a lifelong struggle with weight until a few years ago. In fact, I was once 300 pounds. Wow. Now, yeah, now I live life at 175 pounds, and I'm happy and healthy, and and I've overcome that. But that's one great example of how. I was never meant to be fat. I was never meant to to live unhealthy. But my parents were doing something they thought was good for me by trying to, you know, resolve my fears. So speak about the kids making fun of me and everything. Um, pasted over what my original wiring was. Yeah, yeah. That's you know that's a, a multi-leveled uh, problem there. I think because a lot of a lot of parenting is sort of to the is sort of geared to comforting the the child and not really sort of encouraging children to find their passion i mean so so much of uh of parenting i mean i see so many kids doing what their parents did as as if you could inherit that kind of occupational aspiration i mean i feel the same way about religion it's even worse than that and we don't have to go there, but I've never understood, for example, how somebody could inherit a belief. But in any event, this is, you know, we started off, my first question was, you know, what, what separates you? And so, so what you're saying is that you, are, you focus on the wiring part of it. And you, and you focus on, on trying to get your clients to understand their wiring. And then... Uh, then what happens? Can you, can you give us an example of one of your clients that you help uh, get wired for success? Yeah, there was a client I worked with that um, I took them through the through a multi-step process, and and part of it was a visioning exercise because once you to really go back and really. Sometimes to go forward, you have to go forward and back, meaning to go forward and push yourself forward and uncover your wiring. Sometimes you have to envision your perfect life and then kind of work your way backwards to figure out, okay, where did it all go wrong? And one of the clients I was working with, we did a visioning exercise and they went through, they pictured their ideal life and they were so into it that they actually, you know, could see what their ideal life was going to look like, you know, a couple years in the future, one, three, five, seven, ten years in the future. They got so excited. They said they felt their body just tingling. Yeah. And what had happened there was that they not only saw and started to lock into what their future life was going to be. They were able to look at their current life and see where it was different and then start to work backwards and see where it all went, where it all went wrong. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the unfortunate part, and I'm going to slow down for a second, and the unfortunate part here is this, Philip, is, is that a lot of times where it goes wrong is the responsibilities that we have. In other words, family, home, bills, everything else. And I, I encourage people to take those responsibilities seriously, but I also have them look at those and go, okay, did the, do these responsibilities take you away from what your what your original wiring, what your, you know, really what your purpose in life was and, and, and is? And if the re, if the family responsibilities and other responsibilities in your life have masked over that, um, then I recommend people talk with their family, their spouse, their significant other, their extended family, and figure out how can the family come together as a whole to get you back to where you need to be because only when you're where you need to be will everybody be happy. Um, you know, I, gone are the days – I mean let, let me make this quick. Gone are the days that we have to give up everything just to be with the people that we love. Yes. There are so many opportunities. So, families are so big nowadays and they're spread so globally that for the most part, whether it's friends or family, you should be able to figure out a way to get yourself where you should be um, because if you don't, you're not going to live a – most likely you're not going to live a happy life. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Chris M. Sprague, an international transformation and empowerment ambassador and the author of The Secret Blueprint to More of What You Really Need. And we're talking about not only what separates Chris's uh, program from others, but how to find how you are wired so that you could thrive. Now, now, Chris, uh, first of all, I, I want to add to your point here before we pivot to a different topic, and that is one thing that's become clear to me as I've gotten older, It was it's, it's obvious, but it gets more obvious when you get older, and that is you only have one life to lead. And if you don't do it right this time, there is no second chance. Now, it's possible there's an afterlife. It's possible we're going to get reincarnated although we don't know into what. But it's so important, I think, to, to do what you're um, advocating because it, it, it's very similar to some of the most famous you know, sayings and lessons of all time, the famous one from Socrates, uh, the unexamined life is not worth living, for example, which I, I use a lot. But people tend to forget that if you don't do it this time, there may not be a second chance. And and so I, I really think that this this business of personal transformation is is something everybody should encounter once in their lives because it's so important. Now, you personally, what were your inspirations? How did you start doing what you're doing? <laughs> Wow, that's a. Do, do we have three hours? <laughs> okay, okay. Try to give us the Breeders' Digest footnotes, cliff notes version. What, what? How? How did you? Uh, how did you get into this business? I mean, and you talked yeah. a little bit about it, but why don't you tell us? You know, the the main inspiration. Yeah, that you, you know, and when I joke around about three hours, it probably could take three days to, to give you the whole story, <laughs> but here's definitely the Cliff Notes version. So, okay. 
I started off life as an actor, um, and I was either going to be in radio, television, film, or a professional bowler. I was kind of good at both. <laughs> um, I bowled on television before. Wow. So, um, but in the late '80s, when I got out of school, um, I, I when I got out of high school, I decided to keep working as a disc jockey because I was having fun, but it didn't pay anything. So then I jumped into IT because IT paid real well. Um, and I had a lot of bills and I was working two jobs just to try and make ends meet. Well, towards the late end of the late 2000s, I'd gotten laid off twice in the span of two years and was really struggling to get back into my, into my profession. I mean, I was a senior director for a Fortune 500 company, so I thought it was going to be easy, and it just wasn't. And I could give you a lot of excuses, um, the, the biggest of which being in, in late 2000s, nobody was paying for, for that type of management. I mean, they were trying to cut corners wherever they could. So, you know, you had your you had your upper, upper, upper echelon management doing four, four different jobs and them not bringing in my level. Um, but here's the real reason. I wasn't meant to be doing what I was doing. While I, I could do it and while I was kind of successful at doing it, um, I wasn't meant to be doing what I was doing. So uh, that took a lot of soul searching and a lot of time to figure out. But then in 2011, um, an opportunity came along to join John Maxwell in his as a founding partner in his coaching, teaching, public speaking certification program. And the light bulb went off and it was like, okay, this is what I've been pushing to do for, for my entire life. Because even while I was in IT, I did a lot of presentations. I presented at world conferences before, and I would always push my my direct supervisor, wherever whatever level it would be, to to allow me to do that. In fact, one of my first jobs when I was a junior analyst for a major Fortune 500 company, I got the chance to present to the the senior executive level on a on a big project we were doing. Yeah. Now, just Plus, a second. Uh, sure. So, and I have watched some of your your. Uh, instructional videos and you and you definitely are a entertaining speaker but for those who may not know a lot about John Maxwell what what is he known for I, I know that he's a big name but not everybody follows all this so so who is John Maxwell yeah John's been ranked as the number one leadership guru the last I think it's six years in a row he's authored over 20 he's authored over 73 books sold 20 million copies and the short version of the I'll lead into the next question I'm gonna guess you're asking me what made me join him and the short version is I've read his books for a long time and I figured I had a master's in leadership um, why not go and join him and start doing leadership training and everything um, you know through his organization Yes. That's what eventually led me into figuring out that I was more wired to empower people and transform people's lives through this type of training than strictly through leadership training. I see. I see. So, again, you, you've had a lot of exposure to the motivational business, and we talked a little bit about what separates your uh, program from others. Do you think that there's something wrong with the motivational business right now, or are 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 you considered to be a rebel, or how do you fit into it? Yeah, I would definitely. Yeah, I'm definitely considered a rebel because when I talk to people about this, the concept of living within your wiring and understanding it and mastering it, most people in my profession, when I first talk to them about it, are very very against what what they're hearing. 
because they're they're still in the mode of telling people they can be whatever they want to be. And yes. until they really understand it, they look at me as a limiter. And what they don't get is the fact that I'm actually I'm actually unlimiting people um, because stress, frustration, and um, fear is a is a much bigger limiter than you know than stress, frustration, and fear is one of the biggest limiters out there. Yeah. And you know, people become very afraid when they can do quote unquote anything. It's not as empowering as it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I also think that that I think you I think you you're onto something because the whole notion of you could be anything you want to be. I mean, I think that that it, it, it's it's true in a way. But if it's spoken from your heart, what it what it really, I think, means is be the best person you can be based upon your own vision. And I and I think that. You know, it's so it's it's very similar to a lot of Eastern philosophy, and as I, I've you know I've already mentioned, Socrates, this whole thing about getting in your own flow, putting it in different terms about understanding your wiring. I think, I think that's very very helpful. Now, one of the things that struck me about your book that I thought was that really uh, uh, was uh, appealing is that some of your tips are the reverse of what other coaches would say. For example, you have one tip uh, in your book, The, the uh, Secret Blueprint. It's, it's something about if you want something to occur, talk about getting the opposite result. I thought that was really good. <laughs> can, can you explain what you mean by, by that about Okay, so so suppose you want to get a job or you want to land a customer. You talk about getting the opposite result. How did you come up with that one? Yeah, it comes from research, research, personal experience, and working with a lot of clients. Here, here's the thing of it. Sometimes when people want to get something, they end up believing that they're going to get it before they've got it. So they end up giving off an air of arrogance that they don't even realize. Yeah. And what happens is, is that the person they're attempting to get the job or the contract from picks up on it and is, and ends up becoming leery. It's almost like, you know, walking in, how can I put this? It's almost like walking in with a lot, I guess it would almost be like walking in with a lottery ticket and being so convinced you got it um, without even checking the numbers first and yeah. walking in and just giving it to the cashier and go, give me my $500 million. Yeah. And the cashier be like, well, yeah. Did yeah. you even check the numbers first? <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I, I I I like that because it's there's a certain amount of uh, humility. I mean, humility and humbleness sells. I think. And when you when you act as if you have something before you actually have it, I, I agree. All of a sudden, you you move out of that customer or that client service mindset into an entitlement mindset. It's like you already have it. And I could see that I, I agree with you, and I thought that was really, really good. It also is, I think, better psychologically. I mean, I think the way you put it was, you know, talk about not getting uh, the desired result or, or at least cushioning your chances. You said something like, you know, make it 50-50 or something. I thought that was really yeah, good. 
Yeah, exactly. Now, I, I want to make, and this is where it's interesting because most people then will bring up the fact of the law of attraction, and this is where this is where I kind of have to educate people because I'm a big believer in the law of attraction when you try to track something within your wiring. So I believe it's good for people to anticipate a good result and and, and ask the universe and God and, and whoever they pray to for a good result. There's that point, though, that when you walk in front of the person that you're trying to get the result from, that that's the point where you have to switch your mindset um, and have to keep driving like you don't have it and kind of think, you know, think that you have it. It's the same way in sports. You know, it's the reason why um, if you, you know, I'm, I'm from the Philadelphia area, so I'm a big Phillies fan. And a few years ago when the Phillies won the World Series, um, you know, they were they sat here and didn't and basically talked after they won the the, uh, the the National League and everything else. They were talking like we haven't won anything yet. It's also the same reason that hockey players, anybody who follows professional hockey will know this. A lot of hockey players won't even touch the actual trophy that they win for winning their division, the, the, the game before they or the series before they go to play for the NHL for the Stanley Cup final because there's this belief that you haven't won anything yet until you until you've won the Stanley Cup finals and it was so funny because back in 2010 the Philadelphia Flyers decided to break with that tradition and they you know Mike Richards hoisted the cup and and run around and they went on and lost to, I think it was Chicago in six games so yes, yes. you know superstition or not it's a different mindset yeah well I I always think I mean there is some superstition involved in it but I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think overall, it's a better it's a better mindset. I mean, I know that I think it was um, the books, the success principles. There's a there's another school of thought that says act as if what you desire has already become true, and which is exactly opposite to to your approach. And and frankly, there's a lot. There's some people I know that have read. I think it's I think it's uh, Canfield. James Canfield wrote the book The Success Principles. The guy that also did all the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. Oh yeah, Jack Canfield. Yeah, Jack Canfield. Jack Canfield. Okay, and so, but you know, act as if I I've always had a hard time doing that. It's never worked for me, and but I I identified with with your approach. Now another another tip that I thought was was uh, right on is that if you try, and this is out of your book, if you try to force a change on yourself, your brain will reject it. I thought that was good. <laughs> Where did that one come from? I, I, like, I like that one too. So why don't you, why don't you talk about, about what that means? When you try to force a change on yourself, your brain will reject it. Sure. It, it actually it's what, yeah, it comes, comes from science you know you, you have every action has an equal and opposite reaction and, and and force will negate so when you're trying to force something your brain your brain is going to fight back and, and act as that and act as that uh, opposite reaction and going to force back against you it also um, could be that your brain's protecting you because our brains hate change they're not built for change there are very few people out there who will readily accept change, and they're probably wired a little bit different than than the rest of us. Um, but the majority of people will resist change anyway, and all it is is your brain fearing something new because where you're at now is very comfortable. 
there's there's been there's been a number of research articles, papers, and studies done even on people who are depressed. And when asked if they want to be happy, they will say yes. But when their brains are scanned uh, while being asked that question, their brain scans will say that they're lying, basically, yeah. even though they're not lying. So don't get me wrong. This kind of gets a little deep here. But the point is, is our brains are structured in such a way to keep us in a current state because that's what we're used to and that's what we're most comfortable. And any change, positive or negative, um, will be resisted by our brains. So we kind of have to let our brains get into, you know, kind of work its kind of work um, its way into the change. And I'll say that is unless you really figure out how you're wired and attempt to set yourself up in that way. Because once again, once you figure out how you're wired, a lot of these roadblocks just just end up fading away because it's the state your brain and your body wants to be in anyway um so i guess that's kind of direct to wrap this up the the point is your brain is afraid of change because it feels comfortable where you're at that is until you figure out the way you're wired and all of a sudden your brain says hey this is where i'm supposed to be and as you said philip then you become in flow um and it just happens this is philip merton this is conversations beyond science and religion we're speaking with Chris Sprague, International Transformation and Empowerment Ambassador, author of The Secret Blueprint to More of What You Really Want. We're talking about how to get yourself to change without forcing it. So how does somebody change? We know that forced change, according to your research and thinking, will result in your brain rejecting it. So how how does somebody change? Yeah, it's a at the beginning it's going to feel like a slow process. And I liken it back to the way most people learn how to swim by dipping a toe in the water and realizing that their toes not going to get, you know, their toes not going to leave them by kind of getting in a little bit at a time and then eventually being comfortable with the water. Um, it could even be a, as small as some, somebody asked me once, they said, how do you become successful when you're afraid or when, when things are really bad? And I said, you go down to the basics. I said, you start, I say, you start to be happy putting one foot on the floor in the morning. So if you're out there and you want to change something and you want to get a new mindset and you want to go from fear to success, start looking at every little thing you do and being happy for it. Now, it's not going to take you long once you go through this process. So you wake up in the morning and you put the right foot on the floor and go, okay, that was a success. I put the right foot on the floor. You put your left foot on the floor and you go, that was a success. And you stand up and you'd be happy to stand up. You go take a shower and be happy to take a shower. And what you end up doing is you override the fear sensors in your brain by showing it that it can be successful. Um, at things that it never expected you to, to think about being successful at. I, th you so know, you, you, I think you're saying something really important here that I want to emphasize, uh, and I this is this is where this is where I come down on this, and that is once you master this art of changing yourself, and let's let's hope it's changed for the better. And what I think we mean here, Chris, is breaking down barriers that are preventing you from being the person you can be. I think that's really what we're talking about. But once once you understand how to do this, it, it becomes a lot easier. 
and, and that's my experience. It becomes like a change method. And it, it's sort of like learning how to, how to write. Once you master the forms of the sentence and the paragraph structure and leading in topic sentences, it flows easier. And I don't know whether you would agree with it or not, but I, I, I wanted to stop you there because I, I think this is really important that once you sort of unwrap and find those, as you point, as you put it, those hidden barriers, it becomes easier to break down the next barrier, in my opinion. Yeah, ex- ex- yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and and so, I mean, for for example, I mean, my own my own method, which I think I think uh, is is in alignment with yours, is you sort of have to get to the the bottom of it. I mean, for example, religion is is something that a lot of people are brought up with, and you know, maybe maybe it's this this uh, duty to go to mass every day, or I'm sorry, every Sunday or whatever. And a lot of a lot of us have that guilt about changing their their ways, and 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 getting out of that and then once you get to the bottom of it i mean for me it was sort of like well why am i doing this and what's the purpose and will i go to hell and all this kind of stuff but once once you think through it and find that there's a rational reason for the change then it becomes a lot easier so i think that that i think that's really good now now you do focus on these hidden barriers and what what do you mean by hidden barriers yeah, the, the, the problem is is that most people only see the visible barriers like not getting a job or, or maybe, you know, losing a, you know, maybe getting a divorce or something like that. And they only focus on the result on the end result and they don't realize that something inside, something that was hidden, something that they were doing was was maybe coming out in an unexpected way um, and was causing them to uh, you know, causing the things to happen. Like one of the things I talk about um, is micro expressions and it's something we all do it's something that we can't control and it's something that we all pick up on because of our ancestors and our DNA the only way you can overcome it is by living to your wiring and, and really understanding who you are and embracing who you are because you know it's not about being two-faced but when you don't live to your wiring people think there's something a little bit off about you um, so that was where the book, The Secret Blueprint for More, came in and came from was really, you know, helping people to understand that, you know, the, the visible things they see aren't really what's causing their problems. It's something that goes deeper. You've mentioned a couple, but what are what are some of the other main hidden barriers that you've identified that we need to break down? Yeah, I think one. Yeah, I think one of the things is I think the biggest one would be using up all your time on on busy work. Yeah. Um, and and here's why. You know, Brian Tracy talked about eat that frog. Right. And you know, he talked about doing you know eating your biggest, nastiest, ugliest frog. You know, the first thing in the day. And I, I treat it a little bit differently. I say find that task that's going to give you the biggest return on your investment, um, and focus on that and get that that's going to be today or over a couple days um, and make sure you use your valuable mental energy to accomplish that task because here's the thing of it and, and this will be real quick in a nutshell it's very easy 
for us to identify physical energy. You know, when you mow the grass or when you shovel the driveway or when you do a physical task and you feel tired, it's like, okay, my muscles are tired, I'm tired. But what people don't get is you can is the same thing happens with your with your brain and your mental energy. Um, there's actually been research studies done that say you burn calories while you're thinking. Now, for those of you who want to lose weight by thinking, ain't gonna happen. It's mm. only a couple of calories an hour, or something like that. Yeah. So it's not a great weight loss thing. But here's the thing: if calories equal energy, and you're burning calories while thinking. Then you're burning energy while thinking. And it's what people who have physical jobs don't understand about people who have office jobs when they come home and they're tired and haven't really, quote unquote, done anything all day. So um, if you don't let yourself get distracted by the busy work, you'll find you get a lot more done and you get the right things done versus letting all the distractions get in the way. Yeah, I think that that's a, a great point because when I read that part of your book about, about uh, do – the task that has the most bang for the buck first, you know, that uh, Brian Tracy's book came to mind, Eat the Frog, because he's famous for, you know, the frog being the least desirable thing. And I, I always like that to the extent that once you do the, the least desirable thing, the rest of your day is supposed to flow easier. But on the other hand, the first part of the day is when people are usually most uh, alive and most aware and at least for me that's when the brain waves are working the best and so it seems to me and I've actually gone back to I you know before I read this from your book I actually have started doing that where I do try to focus on the most bang for the buck because frankly I don't know if I'll have the energy to devote to it as the day goes on so I think that that is a a great tip now the other, the other, um, a couple other things that really sort of were were both uh, both both resonated uh, with me, and I really thought were intriguing. When you when you say another problem is, is giving an overly explanatory explanation, which is original, Chris. I, I hope that that I don't know. Uh, I've never heard that one before. So what is it? So what's the problem with giving an overly explanatory explanation? Yeah, um, <laughs> I thought that was good. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad I mean, you liked it. I mean, I mean, let me say that I'm a I, I'm a lawyer. That's my uh, my lack of passion job, but which we which is another issue. But lawyers are famous for giving overly explanatory explanations, so maybe that's why I really liked it. But but what do you mean by that? Well, it's funny you mentioned being a lawyer because with my with my past of giving really overly explanatory explanations. I've been told once or twice I should be a lawyer. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, but, you know, if you get paid by the word, I mean, that that's the whole that's the whole uh, method, you know, if you get, but but uh, unfortunately, yeah. uh, you, you know, we don't get paid by the word. Uh, so anyways, overly overly explanatory explanations. What's what's the problem with that? Sure. Other than the and obvious here's one. The real, okay, and here's the real short version about it. A lot of times when you do that, people think you're trying to snow them or you're lying to them. Yeah. Even when you're not. Um, the second thing is that you sometimes you sometimes give off the impression that you're assuming that the person didn't get your explanation the first time by giving them really deep details into it. 
Um, and the and the third thing is is that you know it's funny. Part of it comes from an old adage in the IT world. I mean, IT professionals are notorious for this. Where if you ask an IT professional how or what time it is, they will tell you how to build a clock and yeah. then tell you what time it is. Trust me, yeah. I was in the profession. I know. I used to tell people how to build a clock before <laughs> I would tell them how to tell time. Yeah. But you know, it's uh, it it becomes a challenge where. Um, when you're used to talking a lot, it becomes a challenge for some people to just give people the high-level facts and then move on. What you've got to realize is this. If you suffer from that, you're, you're in great company. Um, there's a lot of people who do, and there's a time and a place for being overly explanatory. But try just giving people the high-level and letting them ask if they want more detail. Here's the fear you have to overcome. If you don't feel you're going to be understood right away, when you try this at the beginning, you probably are going to be misunderstood. Like the real quick example is I know I used to be really bad at this, and part of it was because I was afraid that people wouldn't, weren't completely understanding me. Um, and here was the problem, Philip. What Philip was the fact that when I gave them the full explanation, it actually led them to be less understanding of what I was trying to say. <laughs> and I just gave them the overview. Yeah. At least had I given them the overview, even if they would have walked away with the misunderstanding, I could have came back and said, okay, next time ask me for more. But when you give them all of it up front and they still don't understand, then it leaves you upset because you feel bad. It leaves them upset because they feel like they didn't understand and it left them no room to ask. And that's really the other thing thing is people like conversations versus just being taught or being spoken to a lot of what you're saying I think in your book and in your talks revolves around uh, gaining trust and credibility with with the client the customer the listener the reader and, and it's not it's not a one-way street Unless you listen and think from the client's perspective, you're never going to reach the client. And I don't think I think it really hampers the sale process. And I I think that that was another thing that you put in your book about think it don't don't think about what's right for you. Think about what's right for your your client. And that's a hard thing for people to do. Yeah, and. And that's what makes it even better when you are when you understand how you're wired, and then you understand how your client is wired, so you can end up going and being with your ideal client. There's been a lot recently over the last I don't know three to five years, let's say, made about going after target markets and the reason why. And I take a little bit of a different spin on it. I talk about when people get into business, I talk about them finding their initial ideal target. Once again niching in and you know it all goes back to taking pressure off people when you're forced to try niching you feel that the first client you go after is going to be the only client man that puts a lot of pressure on you to get it right but what i talk about is figure out your initial ideal client and then expand later and the reason you do that is because when you're dealing with people that are wired like you or that you understand how they're wired it makes it much easier to talk in their terms than it is to talk in your terms um, I'll give you another real quick example. It's, you know, it's like, um, you know, I, I have a lot of different interests, and one of my, I mean, I love sci-fi stuff, and 
and it's something that let's face it the sci-fi community definitely talks i'll say different and is not negative or positive is looked at different than um let's say a completely religious community well if well if i'm if that's you know if my focus is and if i really want to focus in maybe on the sci-fi community for one of my products I have to think in that mode, talk in that mode, and let the sci-fi piece of me come out, and then they will resonate with me. Because if I don't, they're not going to. They're not gonna. They're they're not gonna get it. So I think that's the to kind of wrap this up. That's the big thing is when you end up talking in terms that your client understands, talking what you, you know, saying what your client needs to hear, not necessarily wants to hear. And that's we we don't have enough time to go into the want versus need because. In the book, I think I, I think I bring this out where um, real short version is it, it's not necessarily what your client wants to hear, but it's the way they want to hear it. That's the short version. When you do that, it just kind of lets the barriers float away and, and it makes your business much more successful. So now, now that we're at the end here of our little conversation, I'd like you to try to leave the listener – with a couple sort of simple steps on how they could learn how they're wired to thrive why don't you why don't you try to give us some takeaways for the listener sure let me let me try in a very short in a short way give your listeners two things the first two steps of the process i take people through so the first step and, and what I'm going to do is I'll give you these two steps and then for your listeners, you might need to replay this a little bit to just go through because I can't, I don't have enough time at my command, uh, at my command the time today to go take you through everything. But the first step is really get out of the state of denial. In other words, um, look at where your life is. Stop trying to deny um, your true passions, look at, and your true purpose in life. You know, look at everything. Look at, you know, if, if we ask you what you're, you know, you know, what would you really want to be doing? And this is where you have to go if money was no object, if, if everything was no object. But, the, you know, the first thing is get out of that state of denial and do whatever you can to take yourself out of the state of denial um, because you need to open up your mind. Second step is, you know, first take a couple of deep breaths. Then you want to close your eyes and then go through a process of visualization where you visualize your ideal life, your perfect life. Where are you? Where are you sitting? Where are you standing? What does your hair look like? How long is it? How short is it? Do you have, if you're a man, do you have any facial hair um, or, or not? What color is your hair? Is it curly? Is it straight? Is it short? Is it long? Who's standing around you? Do you have new friends? Do you have old friends? Um, are you on a beach? Are you standing in the middle of a city? Um, are you on an island? Are you in the country somewhere? And then what is your job and what is your what is your career look like? Do you have a job? Do you own your own business? Um, are you surrounded? Do you, are you a millionaire? Are you are are you living paycheck to paycheck? Because I will tell you that some people actually like living paycheck to paycheck because they're afraid that 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 money will corrupt them and everything. Yeah. And you know what? If that's the way you're wired more power to you and the whole point is ask yourself all these questions and more um, and start building that picture of your ideal life once you have that picture of your ideal life what you want to do is either draw it out on a vision board or provide yourself with some anchor so that you can always remember it and so that you can work 
towards it. Um, so those are just two things that I, that's the start of a process I take people through. Um, well, that's and, good. That's, that's good. And, and, and Chris, what's your website? So folks could, uh, learn more about what you're doing and watch some of your lectures and videos. What's your website? Sure. You can visit me at chrismsprague.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-M is Michael Sprague, S-P-R-A-G-U-E.com. And, and, and once again, I think uh, Chris has one of the most uh, rich and informative, entertaining websites around. Uh, there's a lot of uh, YouTube videos and, and, and radio interviews on his website. Uh, for those who want to find out more about this, I, what I think is an original way to transform ourselves. You know, I started off the show by by quoting from something uh, Chris had written about, uh, you know, the goal is to master your mindset so you can be the best you can be. And I really think it all begins with the mindset, controlling and understanding what we are inside. We could call it wiring. We could call it your DNA. We could call it your genes. We could call it your inner soul. There's all these different words, but ultimately it comes down to understanding who you are at the base core of your existence so that you could approach life freely and with the power that we all have hidden inside. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Chris, thanks a lot. Upcoming, I have the interview with Jesse Craigie. We'll see you next week. As I said, every once in a while, I like to feature a business or organization that is doing something out of the ordinary to expand minds or to make a better planet. And I'm happy to have on the show today Jesse Craigie, from a, who comes from a unique construction company called Dirt. Now, Jesse is the sustainability rep, and we're going to learn a little bit about what makes this company unique, because you've, if you've not heard of Dirt, maybe you should. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Thank you, Phil. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so what? Let's let's start off. What is Dirt, and what does that acronym stand for? Well, Dirt is technically a construction company, and an interior construction company, um, and it stands for doing it right this time. Um, we create environmental solutions. We don't like to call them walls necessarily, but we divide interior spaces. Um, we're really trying to get people to think about walls differently. Um, because the walls that we create are so different than anything really that's out there. Um, doing it right this time stands for um, the fact that really the company is built and based on the idea that technology and sustainability are really at the core of everything that we create. Well, I think that this, this notion of sustainability is something that drew me uh, to your company, and I visited your showroom a couple uh, months ago, and I was really struck by how clean, open, and and original everything looked. Why don't you talk a little bit about what makes dirt different in the construction business? Sure. Well, it really, it all starts with our software. The company was built um, on the software, which is called ICE, and ICE software is one-of-a-kind 3D software, really kind of based on video games, 
the core of it at the core of it all that's how it all began um, one of our founders had seen a video game at the same time was looking at how we were currently back in the day building out spaces and realized that there was a better way to do it and this is how ice was really created really helps a client envision their space helps to eliminate communication errors errors and therefore building errors which in the end creates less waste this 3d tool really lets us sit down with the client and create their interior space from scratch and what's great about it is the clients able to walk through whether they're an architect a designer um, somebody with no designer architecture background can sit there as we do um, as we work through their design in real time and they can understand and see it being built out uh, from scratch so there's no more paper there's no more plans we're able to take CAD and Revit files and drop them directly into this file and start to draw on top of these files in real time. So um, this software is really what's allowed us to create these interior systems and spaces that are really different than anything that's out there. You know, you know, I was looking at your, I was looking at the website, and I, I recommend folks taking a look at the, at the dirt. That's D I R T T, by the way, uh, website. And what struck me was that not only do your designers uh, put together an interior design using this 3D software, but then that software program is somehow seamlessly connected to the manufacturing process? Right. right. It's really so, what allows us to um, build out a space for you, taking your design. We can have the actual interior uh, bones of the structure of these wall systems to you in two weeks and the tile systems out to you in three. So wow. the speed of construction, it's rapid, clean construction, is uh, what really sets us apart from anyone else that's out there. Yes. What kind of, what kind of uh, international projects do you have going on right now? We're doing a lot of work in Saudi Arabia, actually in the healthcare industry. Wow. They really appreciate um, healthcare in general, our clean, rapid construction. It really starts to make sense for healthcare. Um, so, Saudi Arabia. Um, we're also doing some projects in India. And being a relatively new company, um, we've been around for about nine years. We're just really starting to look at going beyond um, these places and seeing where we're going to go next in the international world. Yeah, well, that was that. That's another thing that your international coverage is really impressive. Now, I also saw that there's a there's a some influence from from Legos in the in the way, in the way uh, the walls and the and the interior systems are put together. Yeah, we're we're um, often compared to adult Legos <laughs> um, for a couple different reasons. If you think about the Legos, maybe that your dad had years ago, and maybe now that your son has today, those parts and pieces can all be put together. And so that's one piece of it. Dirt nine years ago is dirt today. So if you build out in dirt now, um, one of the best <clears throat> things about our interior systems is really that um, over time you're able to take from our ICE software something called ICE Cycle. So if you were to build out a space with us today and come to us a few years from now and want to reconfigure, 
um, we're able to, we're the keeper of that ICE file, of your software file, your current office, office space, and we're able to reuse the system that we have now. We're able to look at, at your office space that you're living in now and see how you can reuse the parts and pieces that are, are currently in your space, as well as help you to build on top of that. So we think about it a lot like Legos in that you're able to use these pieces, parts and pieces, um, years from now. Um, one of the biggest parts of our sustainability story, I think, because um, instead of just recycling product, we're, we're really focusing more on reusing product. Yeah, I thought that that was a, an, another distinction, and it's the sustainability uh, component of dirt that I also think is very appealing. Those of us, you know, in the environmental area uh, in, and, in the, and in the uh, rising consciousness movement obviously the environment sustainability goes hand in hand with any uh, quest to to build a better world as as idealistic as that sounds but what what was it that made sustainability part of dirt what how do the two fit together um i think it starts with our founder mogan smed um, it's very important to him that that with this company, it's at the core of really everything that we do. And it's not just in um, these environmental solutions that we create. It's actually really part of the dirt culture. Um, it, it's a vein that runs throughout the company, everything from the solar panels and wind turbines on our office and factory spaces to the fact that we compost in every one of our kitchens and um, our offices and our our offices and factory spaces are really trim and clean with efficient real estate footprints. Um, we're a paper-free company. We don't print anything. Wow. We, um, because everything that we do, every design that we create is custom. Um, from the time that you come in the door, your project in ICE is a custom project. There's no need for us to have a paper catalog. Our catalog lives in the ICE software system. So we're really reducing quite a bit of paper waste in that way. Um, beyond just the design process, we don't print in our offices. We're all working on iPads um, or our computers. We don't we don't have any need for paper, which is big. I I can't say we don't have business cards, but other than that, <laughs> we're a paper-free company. Yes, yes. So many of us have been on construction sites, whether it's it's building an addition on your home, a garage, or or just driving down the street and watching a typical a typical construction site. And another thing that struck me about your your website is that you have a a video there comparing uh, normal construction processes with the dirt approach. And it really is amazing the lack of waste that's generated. I don't know if any waste is generated because because the way you do it, where you design the the uh, the walls and the other interior components through this 3d program and the parts are custom made and I take it you don't your your construction sites don't generate much waste if any no, they right? don't yeah that's one of the best parts about it and really the construction industry is responsible conventional construction is responsible for close to one-third of landfill waste Wow. And that was another big thing with our founder, Morgan Sweat. He didn't Smed. He didn't want to contribute um, to be a big, big contributor. So 
again, ICE software really allows for mistake-proof design because we're um, designing in real time. Your design goes to the manufacturing facility, the, the factory floor, um, without any mistakes. It's mistake-proof software. So even just from that standpoint, before your systems show up on site, we're not, we're not seeing waste on the factory floor that you would typically see from mistakes, changes, um, things like that. And then when it comes down to going to site, because we're not tearing into walls, tearing down walls in most situations, um, we're just clicking in tiles, setting up our systems in a clean, quick way that, yes, doesn't allow for much waste at all. Yeah. It's really one of the great things about the system. So, so one last thing. How did you get involved in DIRT? What, what led you to be the sustainability rep? Well, interestingly enough, I have a biology background. <laughs> um, I'm coming in more as a scientist, but um, I've always been interested in the company. I think that they're on the forefront of, um, they're, it's a really a game-changing company. And coming from the science world, I have a very strong interest in technology. And I think one of the best best things about DIRT um, and one of the reasons I really wanted to work for the company is that they are merging sustainability and technology. They've really found this nexus is what we call it um, where you're seeing nexus, you're seeing sustainability and technology running together which to me is the future and um, yeah I just I wanted to be a part of that so um, yeah it's it's, it's been a, a great ride. I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it and we like to too just invite people to come out. Um, we actually call our space a green learning center. It's really not much of a showroom. If you went to the Merchandise Mart, um, you'd see a showroom. That's a place where you would point at a chair and say, I want to buy that. Um, our space is more of a green learning center and that you're going to come in and hopefully be inspired. It's more of an ideas space, but we love to have people in. We love to tell the dirt story and um, we're always uh, open to giving tours, so happy to to uh, offer that up to people. Yeah, well, yeah, well, uh, Jesse, I'd like to thank you a whole lot for sharing some time with us today. I wanted to feature your company because of how impressed I was when I did visit your showroom, and I do agree with you that this is the wave of the future. This merging of technology and sustainability. And uh, you could check out uh, Dirt, that, that, again, that's doing it right this time uh, on, uh, on their website, which I think is what, W-W-D-I-R-T-T? Is that right? It's, yes. I think it's pretty straightforward. Dirt.net, D-I-R-T-T dot net. Yeah, dot net. And if you're in Chicago, uh, as Jesse said, there's a showroom. And what's the address of the showroom, Jesse? It's at 325 North Wells. We're at the, on the 10th floor. Right, right. And it's, it's really an impressive uh, exhibit. It's, it's, uh, it's like walking into the future. So once again, uh, I'd like to commend, uh, Jesse, your company for, for getting out in front of a very important issue, combining uh, technologies, as I said, and sustainability. Uh, this is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Merton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.